This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The Supreme Court this week again did not announce that they'll be taking cases involving qualified immunity, the doctrine invented by the court that regularly protects police from the legal consequences of violating Americans' rights. Cato's Jay Schweikert and Clark Neely detail what comes next. The Supreme Court has for months now uh, kicked the can down the road, uh, as you put it, Jay, and you feel like you're in sort of a Groundhog Day situation uh, where the Supreme Court uh, pledges to look at uh, qualified immunity cases and and make a, a decision about whether or not they're going to take one. Uh, let's bring everybody up to speed about the cases that they did examine and decided not to to uh, hear. Sure. Well, there were eight qualified immunity cases that were considered at the conference on Thursday, May 28th. Uh, And this includes what are, in my view, the three most significant cases, which are the ones that are explicitly asking the court to reconsider qualified immunity entirely. And as far as we know, those cases did go to conference. The court did discuss them there. But when the orders from that conference came out on uh, Monday, June 1st, there were no decisions in any of those cases either way. And then, and then later in that day, we saw that all of those qualified immunity cases got rescheduled for consideration at the conference on Thursday, June 4th. So once again, we are seeing a continued delay and kicking the can down the road on these major qualified immunity cases that are raising this fundamental question of whether the doctrine itself needs to be reconsidered. Uh, Clark, to you, uh, there have been a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of action on Twitter. Uh, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, where as as you can imagine, things are very uh, tense between police and uh, communities. Uh, what does qualified immunity do to the relationship between communities and police? Well, Qualified immunity is the cornerstone of our near-zero accountability policy for law enforcement. The the outrage that we're seeing, I believe, is uh, largely uh, justified and largely in response to the correct perception that police are held to a vastly different standard than the rest of us. There really is um, a a dual standard. Police um, are are held to a much lower standard, and uh, they get away with things routinely. Uh, rights violations um, and and even uh, acts of violence like this. Um, some people understand that. Some people don't understand it. But it is an absolutely true fact. And again, uh, qualified immunity really is the cornerstone of this uh, policy of of near zero accountability. Because why? Because it it prevents people from using the most effective method of accountability available to them, which is a civil damages suit. The only other two options are to hope that a prosecutor brings charges, which they virtually never do unless there's a viral video, uh, as in the George Floyd case, um, or internal accountability mechanisms, which everybody basically understands are complete window dressing and and ineffective. So if you can't bring a civil damages lawsuit, you're basically out of luck. And that's what qualified immunity does is it prevents people from utilizing uh, that one potentially viable avenue of accountability. And they're angry about it and they should be. We've, We've had this discussion before. Uh, about what the court might do, um, but let let's talk about let let's assume that the court does what uh, you and I hope they do, which is to scrap the entire doctrine. Um, what happens in the months and years that uh, follow? Well, 
what happens then is we go back to the congressionally chosen standard, which is um, a strict liability standard. Um, Section 1983, our main civil rights law, provides that a state actor shall be liable to the person injured for the deprivation of any rights. That's the language. Now, if it turns out that a strict liability standard is uh, problematic in some way, then what will happen is Congress will have an opportunity to revisit the issue and keep fine-tuning the statute uh, to essentially adjust it um, in light of, of new information uh, and outcomes. That is a much, much better approach uh, than simply having the Supreme Court, which is not supposed to be a policymaking body, uh, feel free to amend the legislatively enacted standard, which is exactly what they did when they invented qualified immunity, and then just leave it in place uh, for more than half a century, uh, even as it, it, it reveals itself to be utterly unworkable and unjust. So uh, we should go back to Congress's chosen standard, and if they want to tinker with it or fine tune it, uh, then that's their prerogative. But the Supreme Court should confine itself to simply interpreting the statute as written. And I'll also add to that, that um, you know it's worth keeping in mind that even if we were to completely abolish qualified immunity tomorrow. Uh, most individual officers uh, who could who would be potentially subject to these lawsuits are going to be indemnified by their municipal employees or employers. Um, even today with qualified immunity, um, as uh, Joanna Schwartz, a UCLA law professor, has demonstrated, almost all officers are already indemnified. Um, so it's not the case that you would suddenly see officers subject to individually, personally ruinous judgments. You would see, uh, rather, indemnification and victims whose rights are violated getting the remedy that they deserve. Now, that in and of itself raises an important policy question about whether we're structuring indemnification the right way, whether it really should be as automatic as it seems to be, or whether there are better ways of, uh, of structuring that system. One idea that Clark and I have developed that we think is very promising is requiring police to carry insurance the same way that we require other professionals like doctors and lawyers to carry insurance. Even, even teachers often have to carry insurance. I mean, many, many professions except for law enforcement. And I think that there are lots of advantages to that. It ensures that there's always going to be uh, funds to cover a judgment so that the victim is compensated. Um, it, you know, it protects individual officers uh, from the, you know, what could be extraordinary litigation costs. Um, but it also means that over time, as you see, uh, it will price out of the market those uh, that minority of officers who routinely commit these kind of violations. Um, if you, you know, if you are, I mean, it's worth noting that um, Derek Chauvin, the the officer who who killed George Floyd, had, I believe, eighteen complaints against him before this came up. Um, in in a sensible world where we required officers to carry professional insurance and their premiums proportionately reflected their likelihood of committing uh, official misconduct, there's a good chance to think he would have been priced out of the market long before this happened. Um, so there's there's an interesting policy discussion to be had there, but there's not going to be any incentive or need to have that until we get rid of qualified immunity. That, in our view, is the critical first step toward confronting the rest of these um, you know, admittedly complex policy problems. Clark? At the end of the day, th I think we are at an inflection point and the um, Supreme Court and perhaps also Congress either will or will not recognize that the outrage that we're seeing spilling out into the streets right now is 
absolutely valid. I'm not defending the way in which it is sometimes expressed, but the outrage itself is absolutely valid because between them, between Congress and the Supreme Court, they really have created a near zero accountability policy for law enforcement. And the people upon whom that policy falls most unjustly, and in this case, most brutally, are perfectly aware of it, even if the rest of America isn't, and they have had enough. And it is time to change that policy. And right now, uh, the, the, the branch that is in the position to do that is the Supreme Court, and they should do it. They have an obligation, a moral obligation, to end our policy of near-zero accountability for law enforcement. Uh, you would hope or you would imagine that uh, many of the police officers who have been so demoralized by uh, the actions of the relatively few among them who are in some cases actively seeking opportunities to engage in harm or uh, to potentially to kill, uh, you you would hope that they would uh, appreciate or uh, be quietly supportive of an effort to, as quickly as possible, rid their departments of those people. Well, yes, and some of them are. Uh, we've actually had a, um, a law enforcement um, organization join this cross-ideological amicus brief that we came up for in the qualified immunity cases, um, law enforcement action partnership. They've been wonderful. So it's, it is not the case that there's just this monolithic kind of um, blue line. There are some who absolutely get this and that get that this systematic infantilization of law enforcement by the judiciary, constantly being told, oh, there's no way you could have known not to do that thing. Um, that does not benefit the, the occupation it does not benefit the institution of law enforcement at all. To the contrary, as you say, it really undermines their legitimacy uh, and undermines the, the relationship between them and the communities that they have to police. It's time to end qualified immunity. One of the things I just I would add in terms of, you know, the, what people are on the streets are aware of is I, I think in the last, you know, we've been building momentum on the qualified issue, qualified immunity issue for several years now. And I think we've done a lot to raise the profile of the issue uh, among public policy groups and academics and lawyers of all stripes. But in the last week, this issue has really been galvanized. And, you know, protesters on the street are aware of it. I have seen uh, pictures on Twitter of people at protests with signs saying abolish qualified immunity. Uh, so the doctrine that maybe 10 years ago would have been to most people, a kind of uh, arcane piece of legal minutiae, um, you know, protesters and, you know, citizens of all stripes at this point are now becoming aware of the direct connection between this doctrine and the violence done to George Floyd and the turmoil that we've seen as a result of it. Um, so it, it is with a, it is with a grim satisfaction that I've observed that people are correctly uh, laying blame on the Supreme Court and on this doctrine for the situation that we're currently in. Jay Schweikert is a policy analyst and Clark Neely is vice president for criminal justice at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>